To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an aging detective struggles to solve the kidnapping case that has haunted him his whole career. In this Crime Writers On Classic Rewind, we'll look back on our many discussions on season three of HBO's True Detective. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for joining me for the rewind. Thanks for joining me for the rewind. (laughs) So, Kevin, this is Thursday's podcast. Correct. What is coming up on Monday's show? On Monday, we're going to be talking about the podcast Cover Up Body Brokers. Yeah, I can't wait for that conversation. So what are we going to hear in today's CWO Classic Rewind? All right, well, we're going to go back to 2019 first to our February 4th review of True Detective Season 3. And then after the show was over, we did another discussion on March 4th, and uh, we re-reviewed it. Okay. And there were some changes. There were. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Rebecca Lavoie. Yeah, so I did not want to do this rewind when I first heard we were going to do it. Yeah. You know why? <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Because you might not have gotten the name I, of the I know lead I actor. Yeah. Mahershala Ali, like, yeah. he was not as famous as he is now. No, he only had two Oscar nominations. Shush, 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 shush. Been... True, true, true. But I completely bungled his name. Yeah, he became A-lister after that. Rebecca, we're going we're gonna to extend some grace so to you. So embarrassed, so <laughs> embarrassing. And I remember very clearly... Like looking for a pronouncer for his name before we did the show and finding one and it was fucking wrong. And <laughs> these, you sound like Laura Bricker to Cats I know, of the Week. I yeah. know. These days, like there's all these GQ videos where you can find someone saying, I'm so and so, and here's my favorite brand of, you know, skincare mm-hmm. stuff. That didn't exist back in 2019. There was no Mahershala Ali. Hi, I'm Mahershala Ali, and here's my favorite brand of sweater. So nice, you got to get the clips from like Entertainment oh, Tonight. I know. The news ones where anyway, someone else can mangle I'm it. sure Mahershala right. Ali is listening to this and is accepting my apology. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. All right. How about instead we rewind and listen to that uh, review? All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Moving on. HBO has returned with a third season of its prestige crime anthology, True Detective. This installment stars Mahershala Ali as Detective Wayne Hayes, who we see in three different timelines. In each, he is grappling with the 1980 kidnapping of two children and the post-conviction twists that challenge him, even as an old man. Before you ever knew me, I wasn't scared much. I wasn't a fearful man. I've seen things I know and do anything but cause harm. My whole brain's a bunch of missing pieces. This season looks to breathe new life into the series, utilizing the things that made season one so good. A neo-gothic setting, stylized cinematography, shifting timelines, an unreliable narrator, and an all-star cast. 
Creator Nick Pizzolatto is clearly swinging for the fences in an attempt to return True Detective to its once revered form. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points and our own theories for True Detective. So if you want to remain spoiler free, jump to the time code listed in the show notes. So here's my like larger question about True Detective. Is it a story about a crime or is it just a character study? Kevin, what do you think? Oh, I think it's a character study, you know, folded around a a good crime story. At least that's what they've tried. I mean, the characters in season one were super interesting, you know, not so much in season two. And I think that they're definitely trying to return to form with some, you know, with some very salt of the earth characters who are flawed. Their dramas are writ large. So I think that, you know, while the crime has to be interesting in order to sustain eight episodes, 10 episodes, how many of our episodes there are. Uh, but I think it's, you know, like most good drama, like The Wire, like The Sopranos, that it should be character driven. I completely disagree with you. I think it should be about the story and the characters should be a big part of it. And I do not think The Wire was about the characters. But we can talk about that another okay, maybe day. Maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> I want to talk about how about we per- argue afterwards. <laughs> I want to talk about the performances in this season, True Detective, because we have some we have heavy hitter Marshall Ali, Oscar winning actor Marshall Ali. As Detective Wayne Hayes, we have a surprisingly great performance by vape pitchman Stephen Dorff. <laughs> as Detective Roland West, we have Carmen Ijogo as Amelia Reardon. That's Hayes' wife. We have Mamie Gummer, a.k.a. Meryl Streep's daughter, one of Meryl Streep's daughters, as the victim's mom, Lucy Purcell. We what have, happened to her eyebrows? We have Scoot McNary as Tom Purcell, the victim's dad. Mm. Uh, we know him from Godless and Argo. And we have, and does anyone recognize the actress playing TV host, uh, Alyssa Montgomery? Anyone on this panel recognize her? Okay. Uh, I guess that's a no. <laughs> that's Sarah Gadon or Gadon, who played Alias Grace uh, in, in the show we reviewed uh, on this show, Alias Grace, Canadian actress Sarah Gadon. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Oh, Same person. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is we can talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I don't think. It would be fair to say that any of these performances are anything less than great. Toby, what do you think? Yeah, no, I like, I think they have to do some heavy lifting. Uh, <laughs> Talk about that. Well, I think the the dialogue is tough. You know, I don't think it's, it doesn't at least ring true to me. And like 90% of it is awful and then 10% of it's pretty good. Mm. So I think they are kind of put in this situation and for the most part, like the men at least, like they just kind of mumble all their lines. <laughs> but I, I think they managed to do that well, uh, given what they have. <laughs> like I, I, Stephen Dorff, I think, like, I guess I just haven't really thought about him very much in my no, life. No, you but, haven't. Uh, but he's, he's really good. Like, he's really fun to watch. White should. If it's in the paper, it's white should. No one, we're not going to solve the racial complexities of our day here in your front yard. Maybe you could tell us where you were the night of the seventh. I'm really enjoying his performance, but I, yeah, I I don't know. I I kind of find I'm sure we'll explore this more, but <laughs> I'm finding it kind of 
kind of tough sledding. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you on Stephen Dorff. I have to say my expectations were not like super high and he's bringing it. And as far as the mumbling goes, I do want to mention a comment because you just made that comment. And then also we got a bunch of comments on our Facebook group. One in particular from Stacy, who says, my only issue with the season of True Detective is how much Marshall Ellie mumbles. I know it's the style of the show, but I can't understand him half the time. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I want to know anything and everything you'll be pulled together. Why are you doing this now? I will say this again, and Kevin, I have said this on a previous episode of this show. HBO does not know how to mix audio for these shows. <laughs> it's hard to understand. We watch Game of Thrones. We watch True Detective. We watch Insecure, another show I love. Every single show I watch on HBO, I'm turning it up, I'm turning it down, I'm turning it up, I'm turning it down. Things are overmodulated, they're undermodulated, they're overbased, undertroubled. Whoever is doing sound design for the AC's HBO shows, like, get your shit together. Or who's ever doing audio compression for their streaming and on-demand stuff, get your shit together. We cannot hear what people are saying. Am I wrong, Kevin? You're not wrong. <laughs> it's not Marshall Ali's no. fault. He is not mumbling. Well, just let him speak, for God's sake. It and is HBO's like, fault. Like <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That it's is like, the character, on. though, you know? and um, But it's I, like all of them. No, they're all like The dad them. is like that. Both the detectives are like that, you know? It's like... It's, it's the all Ozarks. These, like, sort of, no one's happy. The, the, these very sort of, like, mumbled, significant, like, things that they say. It's... it's I don't know. Every inch of that place is them kids. I can't be there. I can't sleep there. I just want to die all the time. What is frustrating, and I will give Toby credit, is that, you know, talk, we're going to get into this in a second, the uneven writing. Uh-huh. There are some great pieces of dialogue that are the most mumbled pieces of dialogue. Like in your show. trials and versatility? No, like when the guy says to Marshall Ali's character, like, How are you going to wear that badge? It's got a little clip on it. <laughs> I mean, that was a great piece of dialogue. That's a good line, yeah. Anyway, so Laura, there are three timelines in this series. Yes. There's a 1990 timeline, there's a 1980 timeline, and then there's like the present day, in quotey quotes, timeline. And I think we're supposed to be able to tell the 80s one and the 90s one by uh, Marshall's haircut, because in the old one he has like the all over afro, and then the 90s, 1990s, he has the high fade. fade. Um, Are you confused at all? Yes. Are you confused at all by the timelines on the show and how the story is rolling out? Do you find yourself being able to track or do you find that confusing? Well, it took a little bit to get used to. Um, once I figured out, yes, there's three timelines and these are the people. And and obviously the one character has like a porn star haircut in the first timeline and then not, not so much in the second timeline. Uh, that's Roland the partner. And then in the third timeline, Roland the partner was like MIA. That's right. So I'm not really sure what happened to him. Until the once you figure out a system, yeah, you find a system, you know, you can follow it. And I think... That for me so far has been the most compelling part of this whole series is these three timelines. You know, what I'm thinking at this point is, yeah, okay, so the guy in the third timeline has dementia or does he? Uh, Has he actually been like 
you know, got like something that's making him black out what happened that's not dementia related that's going to come to light as this series continues. But I feel like we're also not being given a lot of information. Like we're really being parceled out the information very, you know, slowly. So it's like, okay, so we know something was overturned. We're not sure why. We're not sure who was convicted at this point. So that definitely makes it for me a little bit slower following the story. But, you know, I'm hoping it's all going to come together at the end. But that, that is actually my question about the plotting of this story, Laura, is that we know we're told basically in the first episode or two that there was a crime. Mm-hmm. There was some kind of conviction. Mm-hmm. There was some yes. kind of overturning. And there's some kind of new investigation. But without yes. knowing what the original conviction is, like, do we even care about something being overturned? Like, that's my question is like, we have so few pieces that yeah. in the second timeline and, and specifically when he's get called back in to reinvestigate in the third timeline, when he's being asked by this TV reporter about the reinvestigation of it, or you're like, what overturned thing? Who was convicted? Yeah. Do you feel, yeah. Laura, like he would have benefited from at least one of those stories, just like being given it as a layup? Like this is what happened in one of these timelines. Well, I, I would have, but that's just me because I'm somebody who needs to know information like all the time, not even just in a TV show. So I definitely wanted to know a little more like what's going on so I could feel a little little more invested in where the story was going. And it was getting frustrating when I said, okay, there's a purpose. There's a reason they haven't told us this information. You know, I'm hoping there's a reason and it's not just going to be like, okay, it falls flat and we should have told you. But then that adds to a lot more of my speculation as I'm watching this. I mean, I have like 30 different theories going right now, so... I think if they do it well, their their hope is that they will give you the payoff of three mysteries, one in each timeline. And I do like it, you know, when they reveal things bit by bit by bit. That is part of uh, of narrative, you know, is that you don't give everything out in chapter one. That's what I liked so, about season one of the show for sure. So, right. We have essentially three big questions that go along with the three different timelines who was arrested for the first, you know, in, in, in 1980, what happened in 1990? And is this all going to be resolved in the, the present day? And there are all sorts of things along the way. Hmm. Um, so I find that, you know, as the characters are discovering things, of course we are with them as well, but there are other parts of the story that have yet to be revealed. It's the only way to keep people, you know, watching for additional episodes in in any series is to, you know, want them to know more and more and more. So you have to give out enough, but you can't give out everything. I was thinking about like when they had a meeting after season two sucked (laughs) and they were like, well, you know, maybe we should, we, you know, we, we didn't have enough timelines, you know, the first one we had two timelines, this one we only had one. So it's like, you know, we could do three timelines for the next one. It'll be even, I mean, it. But do eight anyway, next time even better. Well, Toby, exactly. one of the notes that you sent me, I mean, the showrunner on this show is Nick Pizzolatto. And then we know, just because I read a lot of articles about the shows that we talk about, he didn't write all the episodes for this season like he did for season one. He wrote episode four, which was the first episode we actually get that full voice of his in, which I actually think I noticed, even though I didn't know that before I read the recap, which I found that out. But you kind of addressed what that sort of like um, amorphous in between. Maybe we'll get this, but maybe we won't thing in a note you sent me when which you said he's good at setting atmosphere. He's good at getting good and interesting directors. 
He's good at talking really good actors into into delivering his 90% shitty-ass lines. <laughs> Occasionally, his dialogue is good, but not that often. But he sucks at everything else. And I think what you're speaking to there is just what like we heard Kevin and Laura say, which is, we've been served up this beautiful platter, but what will it be at the end of the evening? What do you think, like Toby, about just sort of what this series is at this point? Is it proving that theory of yours true? Of course it is. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I wish I was more optimistic about things because, you know, I don't even like, again, as I've said, like 10 zillion times, like I thought the first three episodes of True Detective 1 were good. And then everyone since then has been awful. You know, I, I just, I've been watching this and I keep waiting for there to be a scene where I'm not like, oh, okay, you know, that's standard, that's standard, that's standard. The only thing that's really been something where if you read it in a book, you wouldn't just be like, really is the scene where they find the boy and you know, they've got those weird little dolls and he's like laid out and stuff. So that kind of atmosphere stuff he's pretty good at, but like, like there's no scene at which I ever feel like, you know, Oh, that's interesting. Or, Oh, I haven't seen that before. It's like scene after scene is derivative or cliched or, or something Give us an example of a derivative and cliched scene. So, you know, just right off the bat, which is where I started to get that horrible sinking feeling. You know, there, there's two things that happen at the beginning. One is, you know, you see the father and he's doing something on, you know, he's got a day off or it's the weekend or something while his kids go off. And it's like, well, what would be the most cliched possible thing to do for like a Southern blue collar guy to do on his day off? Well, it's probably work on his car in his driveway with like the hood up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for hours and hours and hours, like neglecting everything else. And then the first time you see the detectives, they're like hanging out in lawn chairs, drinking beers in a dump, shooting at rats. Right. And it's like, you know, again, it's like this has been done before. Right. I mean, it's been done on your own on your own network, you know, that that's like the wire where they go to like these like empty lots to drink beers when they're like blowing stuff off. The whole thing just seems like this collection of like somebody who's read a lot of like detective novels, but hasn't really thought about how I'm going to make them different. It's like super, super average in my opinion. I don't disagree with anything that you just said. And I will add one thing to it, which is that Nick Pizzolatto's portrayal of women which I complained about in both season one and season two, continues to be incredibly problematic in this season. Even the scene that passes sort of the test of like, what is it called? The Bechtel test of like a scene scene that isn't about uh, women talking about men or a scene where like there are any men in it. Can I tell you something? Amelia? Of course. I've got the soul of a whore. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like there can't even be one scene with two super interesting women characters where one of them isn't questioning her life's choices because she likes having sex. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of problematic portrayals of women. One of the things that's problematic for me is, and Kevin, I'd love your take on this. You know, No, not, you wouldn't. No, I actually would. <laughs> because I do think a huge recurring theme in this show is the post-Vietnam, Vietnam vet story. Mm-hmm. We have Hayes, who we know is a Vietnam vet. He was a scout. Yep. They both, the both guys are, yeah. During the war. And, you know, we said over and over again, and then we see him in the later scene, and he has dementia, and there are all these, like... The ghost scene was really interesting. Was it? I thought it was. Or was it just weird? 
What did you think? Well, I mean, probably both, but... Did you notice there was uh, some people in there who weren't soldiers? Yes. These are like quite literally the ghosts of who a man is haunted by or at that killed. age. Who killed. Right. These probably represent in some way both metaphysical and symbolically and, and, uh, and delusionally, you know, the people whose lives he's taken uh, throughout the years who he is, you know, needs to come to terms with. And there are obviously a lot of soldiers you know, from his time as, you know, this, this LARP, this long-range reconnaissance uh, guy. But there's also, which is t- tantalizing, is, you know, a guy in a suit and tie or a guy in a shirt and tie. Looks like Dorf, doesn't he? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's, um, you know, a guy, kid with long hair. Yep. One of the West could Memphis be. No, three could be. Kids. Right. Could be. Yeah. What, the bike kid could be. The, I found that scene really interesting. I mean, this is also, you know, a guy who has... Some kind of memory issue. But and that's a, well theme of, that's a theme of this is, is memory. But that's my, my question for you is this. And this, yeah. I, I don't mean this to like, I'm not trying to tell you that what you just said was interesting isn't interesting. Did you think it was that scene was actually well done? I mean, Toby made a really good point. He compared it to the dementia scene in Castle Rock with Sissy Spacek. Uh-huh. And sort of the way they portray dementia in that show is this like very multi-layered confusing thing versus... Marshala Ali in a room in his house, literally surrounded by people in costume who are just standing next to him while he's looking out a window. I think Marshala Ali's performance in that scene is what carries it. I mean, he's he's a you know a list actor, right? And I think that by not in necessarily engaging with those things around him is what makes it interesting. Remember, he's he's a really great unreliable narrator and yeah. I love those kinds of stories and obviously what is around him are we supposed to believe it's actually there is this all in his mind and if that's all in his mind are his remembrances of 1980-1990 also accurate all right well let's just talk about um some details of the story Laura Bricker one of the side stories is a uh, trash man Brett Woodward yeah another mm-hmm. Vietnam veteran uh yeah. he's the one who's picking up trash who's maybe a witness to the crime and who has this whole side story in the episodes. What do you think about this, like, sort of meandering side narrative that the show is bringing to us here with Trash Man? Well, I mean, obviously, the first thing that catches your eye is this whole, like, thing that he's, like, go-kart, like, trash cart that he's driving around. So you're like, okay, this is definitely, like, a true detective, quirky kind of thing that's going on here. But, you know, as it goes on, I have to wonder if this is something that's kind of testing you a little bit because you're watching these people that are assuming he's guilty. The townspeople who like beat him up with pipes and like assume that he's like a pedophile and all this stuff. But, you know, I have to wonder in the end of all of this, if he's actually the witness that knows what happened. And that's going to be the irony is like they they beat the shit out of him. But actually, he was the good guy all along. So, Toby, another side plot. Uh, I don't want to call it side because I think that all of these plots are meant to sort of tease potential suspects in the case. We're supposed to be now virulently like guessing like who did it even though the show doesn't actually tell us to do that that's what we're supposed to be doing uh we have the three teenagers freddie ryan and jason we see them at the beginning of the series in that purple bug we see them throwing a lot of shade we see one of them driving around on one of the kids bikes and then we see them sort of being brought in for interrogation and this whole thing smells a whole lot like the west memphis three narrative to me what do you think of this uh side road in the story toby yeah i haven't been like guessing because 
He doesn't care. Yeah, I just, I, it's hard for me to, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't seem like there's enough there to uh, really like get my interest or whatever, you know, as compared to other things where you're like, well, it could be this guy, it could be this guy. This is just like, well, there he happened to be there and he had his fingerprints on the bike. Oh, I wonder if it was them. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just, again, it's just like maybe it's these sort of troubled kids who go partying. And, you know, are mean to little kids. You know, I, I guess it could be. I don't know. How do you feel about the Dungeons and Dragons uh, potential I story? really hope it has. I really hope the solution has to do with Dun- Dungeons so do and I. Dragons. Because that I would be. I think it does, though. I, I'm afraid I, I, I will change everything I thought about this if Dungeons and Dragons ends up being like the key. <laughs> because it would be like just sort of the the perfect twist. But again, I don't know with Nick, with Pizzolatto, like he like brings stuff up. That's kind of like, huh, that's weird. And then it just doesn't go anywhere. You like mean a peephole. Like, yeah. Like the peephole with the cousin, like the racist lady who makes the dolls, which by the way, this yeah. is, this is a typical Pizzolatto scene, right? Like this is how the writing of episode four, which he wrote was so much worse than the other episodes. So they have these couple of very interesting scenes where Marshala Ali's character, Hayes, ends up being the bad cop, like in a bunch of scenarios. Like in that earlier episode, he beats up the dude. He's the one who's always bringing up prison rape as a thing in interviews, which is like, dude. Something happens to his career in those 10 years. Yeah, yeah, like he has sort of some surprising moments. But then they go to interview this like clearly racist woman. And she's like. Didn't recognize him. um, Negro man like yourself. Uh, He had a dead eye. Uh, filmy, you know, like a cataracts. And then he obviously knows she's racist, so he's trying to get her to say something else, like... Nothing about his face besides the eye. Handsome, ugly. Like I say, uh, he was black. But is he good-looking? Is he ugly? She's like, I just said, he's black and he has, like, a dead eye. And I'm thinking, like, but actually, even from a racist person, that's actually a super good description of a person. I think, yes. <laughs> like, do we need to know if he's good looking? Yeah, what, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if somebody literally has a dead eye that's all milky, doesn't that kind of negate whether or not they might be good looking? It's just poor writing. He's a handsome man with one eye. It stands out, Rebecca, when you <laughs> see him on the street. snap in his step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has a tremendous singing so, voice. So, Kevin, another uh, story which I think is integral, but again, presented as a side story is the marital relationship mm-hmm. between Hayes and Amelia, his right, wife. Right, We don't know where she is today. We don't know where she is today. We think she's dead. We, you know, we, we hear she's dead. We hear she's dead. Definitely okay, right. dead. Right. We know she was a teacher. She's in the earliest timeline as a co-investigator. She's in the second timeline mm-hmm. as a wife slash antagonist slash investigator in a different way with her own true crime book slash yeah. when we fight, we're going to have sex kind of wife. Right. We had a very yeah. intriguing How come scene I can't get that? They actually have like a, like a hardcore marital fight that turns super weird. Yeah. Do not talk shit in my face and walk away. I don't want to be around you right now. You want me to leave you alone and stop talking shit? Because when you talk shit about me, I'm required to defend myself. How can you defend yourself? You can't defend yourself because you don't know what's wrong. Did the wife in your scenario play any part in the conflict, any role the last 10 years? Let go of me, Wayne. Stop talking shit about me. Or what? Well, I'm going to start crying. Well, I, th- I think this is, you know, the creator trying to come up with a, a different couple. Mm. You know, again, not the same married couple uh, the uh, I'm married to a cop and you don't understand me. 
you know, I mean, I think you always try to do something that hasn't been done before. And I can't say that, you know, as far as that dynamic, well, I mean, we've seen different shades of that. Right. You know, the the thing that she is, she's writing this book about his time. I mean, I, we've already established true crime writers, horrible people. Right. Horrible. We're all horrible. But, no, here, but, here, but here's a question. Real Charlie question Spicer then. is waiting to buy her book. So in Timeline 2, yeah. we know that she's written a true crime book about his case. Yep. And that she has the galleys. It was about to be published. Yep. But then she's the one who goes to the cops to get more information. And then he's put back on the case. Like, he's not completely disqualified because his wife is writing a true crime book about this case. Would that not be, just, like, somewhat disqualifying? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Laura? Yeah, I think she's suspect. I, I don't know. I, I don't like her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's definitely disqualifying. And it's definitely sort of sketchy in terms of, like, right from the beginning, you feel like, are they really only married because she wanted to get to him to write the true crime book? I mm. mean, is that really what was going on here? Or was there something more nefarious going on? Like, well, like she could be the killer? Well, that is like, a I think big she's, theory. I think she's yes. the killer. That's, I think she could be the killer. Laura, you are not alone. That theory has been put out there in many online articles about, is Amelia actually the killer? She's either the killer or she knows who the killer is, and the killer is actually the mother who we see her having a little heart-to-heart with in the most recent episode. And, like, perhaps the mother who worked at the chicken factory gave her kid away to the chicken factory people whose granddaughter looked just like her who died. That's, that's a weird... That's met in the woods. Yeah, that, that's probably going to get fleshed out more, I would hope. Otherwise, it just becomes this weird tangent. Yeah. But the whole thing about... <laughs> the chicken factory and the owner, and it's there's, a little, it's a little sharp. There's something with the chicken ish. factory, yeah. Yeah, he's off in Africa. Can we just say, like, this show borrows from so many things? Like, there's West well, Memphis do, Three stuff. Yeah. There's any Vietnam thing you've ever seen stuff, and I know that it was like made contemporaneously with Sharp Objects, so like they obviously weren't borrowed, but it feels so borrowed to me like over and over and over again so it's like in gone girl where she's not actually gone but she fakes her disappearance it's like you have to wonder if the missing girl whose fingerprints turn up all those years later was off in africa not really dead but disappeared with the guy from the chicken factory Yeah, or like in the casey affleck movie gone baby gone where the girl was kidnapped great movie and given to morgan freeman where she would have had a much better life than being with her mom amy adams amy ryan Oh, Amy, Amy Ryan. Ryan. Amy Ryan. You're right. That movie is great. Casey Affleck is problematic, but we can go on record saying that movie is Titus great. Titus Welliver is good. They put the plug in the jug. The the thing that will finally like will break my mind is if it uh, ends up the uh, solution is the same thing as uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and a place of execution, <laughs> which is she's kidnapped to keep her from being sexually assaulted by her father. That's right. So somebody like like took her away just to, just to save her. Right, right, to save her, which is how Stieg Larsson stole from Val McDermott to make his big bestseller. Anyway, what were you talking about? No, meta. I actually really wanted to hear all of your theories. And without having to ask you, you just gave them all to me. I also kind of buy into the Amelia as maybe villain theory that's been floated out there. And we did give ample spoiler warnings, so I don't feel guilty about saying so. Before we review True Detective Season 3, can I just like like throw out a couple of comments our very smart listeners made on our Facebook discussion group? Mm-hmm. Katie, my childhood friend who I know in real life and love, says, Stephen Dorff was better than expected. I usually think of him as a low-rent Luke Perry. 
but have been pleasantly surprised. I think we all agree with that. Yeah. Anna Maria uh, threw in a really interesting comment. She said, the show balances, quote, big hot button issues in the three timelines, child abduction and murder in small town suspicions in the 80s, wrongful convictions, questioning investigations in the 90s, and the true crime blog slash documentary and the effects of memory in the present day. She's not wrong. Not wrong. And her question is, does the show balance them well or is it trying to do too much? I think that's a super interesting question. And on that note, I'm going to say, let's do what we do and tell our listeners if they haven't yet done so, should they check out True Detective Season 3, Thumbs Up or Thumbs Down, Laura Bricker, Caffeine Injected Laura Bricker. I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I'm losing my caffeine buzz. Um, I'm going to say thumbs up because, you know, season one was really interesting. Season two, and eh, we all know that. This this is bringing it back, but it's a different type of detective story. It's a little bit slower in the way it's paced out. It's a little more nuanced. You have to pay attention. But I really think with three different timelines in the story, something really interesting, I have hope, is going to happen at the conclusion that is going to make this all worthwhile. Oh, you're so optimistic. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down? for True Detective season three. What do you think? I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a thumbs down. The thing is, is that there are things about it that are good and interesting, but it has none of that has anything to do with the story or anything like that. Like I would almost rather just like put on some tunes and just watch it mm. without the sound on. Um, <laughs> I don't see what there is to recommend the story. I, I just, it just seems totally derivative and average and not very original and with all the money and star power and effort that goes into it, it it's just, you know, it seems like a waste. But do you recommend it? <laughs> yeah. For you, Kevin, um, I hope you watch the whole thing. I'm going to do a weird thing and I'm going to say, I agree with everything that Toby just said. But I'm going to give it a thumbs up only because I plan on watching the rest of it with the hope that it saves itself. But I'm not like 100 percent sure it's gonna. And I would love to, Kevin, when it's all over in four weeks, just like maybe you and I could just check in with Laura if she keeps watching it and just say, like, what do we say now? Right now, I'm going to say I'm hopeful. The, the performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I actually think Stephen Dorff an actor who I completely forgot about, except for the fact that he's in those stupid fucking vape commercials, is revelatory in this. Marshall Ali is always great, and the performances are great, and the atmosphere stuff is great. I don't give a shit about the story, but I'm going to keep watching it. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up on that basis and hope that it delivers. But I also agree with everything Toby just said. What about you, Kevin? No, I'm a thumbs up. I mean, I really like it. I think True Detective does not belong in modern day Los Angeles. So you got to, you know, and the 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 escape from Hooker Mountain. Uh, we can't have, you know, that whole season <laughs> was a waste. But I, I feel like what True Detective is in season one, and it planted that flag, and I think is back there in this season. It's about, you know, a different time. Not about timelines necessarily, but, th- but that's interesting. Particular setting and place, you called it neo-Gothic. You know, that is very much kind of like, I think it has, you know, this sort of atmosphere and feel to it and, um, you know, some moody performances. And those are the things that I like. And I think that the mystery, uh, I like the pace. For me, it's the right pace for it to, uh, you know, reveal itself uh, bit by bit. I will definitely be watching... All right, Kevin, moving on. 
Can you please read this for me? Relitigating true detective. <laughs> I don't know how much relitigation this is going to be, but I did want to, because we've talked about True Detective season three so many times in passing on this fine podcast ever since we reviewed True Detective season three several weeks ago. Now that the series has wrapped up for this season, I wanted to uh, perhaps relitigate it a little bit. So at the same time that Mahershala Ali, see what I did there, Kevin, was accepting his Academy Award Sunday night, True Detective did wrap up its season on HBO. In the finale, we learn how Wayne Hayes tanked his career in 1980, saved his marriage in 1990, and solved the Purcell case in 2015. Time is the school in which we learn. Time is the fire in which we burn. The case. It's only ever the case. And it's over now. All this time. What the hell were you doing? My God. Just tell me what happened. As fans of this podcast know already, in our initial review of this season, True Detective, Toby Ball thought it was super stupid, except for the exceptional performance of vape pitchman Stephen Dorff. And Laura, Kevin, and I all pretty much liked it, but agreed that this series has issues overall with women and that HBO really needs to improve the audio mixing because the show's dialogue is super hard to understand. <laughs> yep. So quick spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about the finale, how True Detective Season 3 ends. So if you haven't watched it yet, check out the show notes for this episode. We'll put a note for you and you get to skip right to our final litigation and outcome and perhaps thumbs up, thumbs down of the finale of True Detective Season 3. I think you just spoiled it by saying he solves the case. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Well, he does solve the case, but he doesn't remember it. So, yeah. I think the, Wait, it doesn't the ghost of his wife solve the case. It, it's true. It's true, actually. Yeah, but then nobody remembers it. So it's I so see, annoying. Well, here's my question. Can somebody, one person, you don't have to, I don't want you to have all to argue. Laura Bricker, how do you think this series ended? What do you think happened? You just said he solved the case, but didn't remember it. That's not what I took away, but maybe I just wasn't watching it 100%. In terms of what do I think the conclusion <laughs> yeah, was? So I think the conclusion was, well, I don't think this was, I think it, when you step away from it, this isn't about a crime so much as it is a character study in the three main characters. You know, you've got the two detective characters and how they evolve and how they change throughout the series. And I think that's more what we're supposed to be watching. But I want the stupid crime solved. So they throw us a bone and show us where Julie ends up and how Julie ended up there. And then they just have this sort of weird random ending where Wayne is like walking out of the jungle or into the jungle in Vietnam. And then that's the end. Yeah, that's what I saw too. <laughs> so then there's like the whole theory of, oh, was this whole show just a dream that he had while he was walking around oh, in Vietnam? No. no. I think that it was him maybe. I mean, I kind of came away with thinking like, okay, maybe something happened there that we still don't know that he's sort of trying to make up for. And this case was his chance to like redeem himself. And then when he finally had the chance to redeem himself, when he finally finds her, unfortunately, the dementia kicks in again. And there we are again, back at the beginning where we don't know what's going on. I don't know. I think there's so many ways you can look at it. Toby, is that what you think happened at the end of the series? That uh, I mean, we, we, we sort of see this scene where Julie Purcell, who we've been... 
you know, kind of looking for, thinking about for this whole series, or supposed to be looking for, thinking about, goes from being a missing kid, you know, rejecting her dad's looking for her in the next timeline, you know, shoplifting in that store and then in one of the timelines. Uh, she was sold into a rich family, then she ran away, and then she faked being dead uh, with help from some nuns, and then ended up living under an assumed name in a super suburban life in which she makes cookies and gardens with her kid. Did you see that coming? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 told you, I told you exactly what was going to happen when we first talked about it, because I said, I get the bad feeling it's going to be ripping off. Steve Larson and Sal McDermott. You did The thing that will finally like will break my mind is if it uh, ends up the uh, solution is the same thing as uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and the place of execution, <laughs> which is she's kidnapped to keep her from being sexually assaulted by her father. That's right. So somebody like like took her away just to, just to save her. Right, right, to save her, which is how Stieg Larsson stole from Val McDermott to make his big bestseller. So I was absolutely not surprised. Like, I think it wears its influences pretty openly. I, I do feel like it kind of ripped off like the basic, you know, ending, you know, the, the whole underlying what happened. I, I don't think it necessarily rips off Tree of Smoke, but I think it gets a lot of ideas from Tree of Smoke. And I don't know if you guys have read it. It's by um, Dennis Johnson and it's a Vietnam novel, but it's, you know, one of the main characters is a LERP, you know, one of those long, long range patrol guys, just like um, Herschel Ali and, the scene where Dorf like starts hassling that guy is like three times his size yeah. and then beats him up along with like five other bikers before being taken down by like eight bikers that that's pretty much pulled from tree of smoke too. There's, there's a scene that's, that's similar to that. I almost talked myself into at one point when they showed that ridiculous scene where they show, uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson and like the pedophile ring or whatever. And I was like, you know, if what's really underlying season one and season three is there's like this thing that's going on with these like very powerful people and it's sort of so obscured from like what normal people can see that the only way that you can kind of like get at it is from these really like the guy who mows the lawn, which again comes up again yeah. in, uh, in this one. And so I thought, well, maybe that's like sort of what the theme is, is that you can only pick off these, these really sort of tangential people and the really powerful folk get away with it. But that's not at all what happened in the end. Instead it was, you know, exactly what I thought it had been with the one twist that the ghost of his, you know, wife was the one who actually solves it. Mm. And he, like picks up on that through his dementia. So I, you know, it was just as ridiculous and disappointing as I was fearing. So Kevin, at the end of Project oh. Season 1, we have Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson getting together and sort of like with the wheelchair scene like, you know, yeah, bonding. Not my favorite, but yeah, okay. At the end of this season, what we get is what they're going to be roommates now. Stephen Dorff and Herschel Holly are going to like. I'm going to come over a couple of nights a week. Only a few nights a week with the dogs, Rebecca. I know. Bring the dogs, put like, them out back. That's, 
I mean, really, this well, is like an trying- exaggerated mirror plot-wise of season one in, in like a lot of those small ways. Toby's right. Maybe. Like the, the lawn Maybe. mowing guy, the sort of reconciliation of the two partners. And I even remember scenes in season one, like, you know, Toby was talking about that bar scene that's sort of like, I done so bad that I want someone to hurt me thing. Like, mm-hmm. that really was like what season one was about with Matthew McConaughey, like drinking himself and like crushing the beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was that, right? It was, uh, it was retread. Well, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that, I, I don't think it's a redo of season one, but there were a lot of the same kind of themes and, and the same kind of motifs that, that came up. You know, I, I think that when they tried to do, you know, they they went from Southern Gothic in season one to L.A. Gothic, postmodern industrial Gothic. It didn't work. So to come back, and I think scene and setting is a big part of all the True Detectives. And so to put it in rural Arkansas yeah. and to have these three different timelines, I thought was interesting. Four. <laughs> and it being four, or maybe there's a bit of a fifth. But quick question for you, Kevin, because there's a lot of head faking, Kevin, where one of the storylines that we get is like this brokenness of Wayne Mahershala Ali's family. Yeah. And then we sort of find out like, no, it was all fine. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. You're thinking, again, it, it, it takes a couple of the, we, we think that the story is going to go here because the story always goes there kind of things and not do that. Yeah. Which, you know, we often say, well, that's a sign of good writing is that we didn't expect that. And so, yeah, the head fake was that we kept thinking we didn't see the wife in 2015. And so something bad had happened to her or like they got divorced or she was murdered. And we don't actually not know that. But, she, you know, we know that she passed on. We never see Rebecca either. We never see Rebecca. Right. The only time like she comes up in modern day is like there was something about at the table where he mentions how he wants to see her. And everyone's the, all weird about it. Everyone's all weird about everyone's it. Everyone's all sixth sense about it. Like, is she a ghost? Yeah. She dead too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and no, it was just, we don't know about, She's busy. we don't, well, we don't know about those characters, <laughs> yeah. current day situation because with his condition, he doesn't know. Right. Or he's mistaken about and it. And the whole TV storyline is just dropped. The whole TV show thing is just completely dropped like a hot potato. No, that, those are my two gripes is that A, we don't ever find out really what happened to Amelia, the wife of Wayne. So we have these sort of hints. We finally find out how, you know, what happened in the beginning of the relationship where we see that, you know, he was demoted to desk duty because of her article at that point about the investigation. We see how they get back together. We see this one little scene where it looks like maybe she's older, maybe teaching college perhaps. And then we're like, she died, but why, how, when? We, we don't know. And then there's that whole sort of weird thing with his daughter. We don't know if that's related. And then the movie girl, I mean, we never see her again. Right. Like what happened? I mean, that seemed to be kind of like the, what was driving the story forward in terms of him with his memories and rehashing it. And then poof, she's gone. Yeah. And didn't the son have an affair with her? And poof, she's gone. Right. So th- those are my two gripes. That I just felt like they were sort of like strings that just never got picked back up again. Right. And I know that that has been addressed um, in some of the online forums you know, in terms of what that all meant. But that for me was, I was frustrated. Definitely yeah, frustrated. You, you kind of are led to believe, or at least I was led to believe, if you're going to have a neat ending and you're going to have like Stephen Dorff move in with Marshall Ali, like maybe the final scene will be them sitting on the couch together watching the TV show that they, that they showed did. us <laughs> filming them the in. dogs. Like for like half of the they series. They don't get investigation discovery in Arkansas. <laughs> well, Laurie, was really nice. I mean, the one thing that I did like is watching Stephen Dorff commune with that little uh 
rotten dog and learning how he learned to love dogs. That was nice. A dog in the parking lot? It's because oh, dogs God. don't judge him for being drunk. Toby, I mean, that Toby, was kind of the message. You can that. say, oh, good, all you want because you're not a dog owner, you're not a dog person, but it can be as hackneyed as you want, but it is true that dogs do not care if you just got beat up by eight bikers after inciting a fight. They will love you anyway. And that scene was very realistic, was it not, Kevin? Even stray dogs like you. <laughs> Toby's not impressed. <laughs> yeah. Usually when cat, I get Toby the shit kicked out of me, there's not some random dog walking around. Also, didn't he not seem <laughs> nearly injured enough after having like eight guys beat him up? Like he should yeah, be in the hospital. Bloody. He's just sitting there. He's a tough guy. <laughs> the bullet in his leg. He's super tough. You could tell because he like. Dwarf man. He, Took down a whole bunch of bikers before they finally got him. Yeah. He was smoking that vape. Despite the fact that he's like literally like a third the size of the guy. <laughs> yeah. started messing with. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Uh, let's give a quick thumbs up or thumbs down for the finale, the wrap up of True Detective season three and the series as a whole after seeing that finale. Laura Bricker. What do you think? I'm going to go with thumbs up because season two was so bad. Um, I feel like season three, we're on the way back. I did have some things, like I said, I didn't love. But overall, I, I liked season three. So I'm going to say thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, do I even have to say it? <laughs> thumbs way yeah. down. And seriously. Toby. It's, it, it just, my most cynical take earlier on, like, ended up being true. So it like lived totally down to all my fears. Yeah, I actually am switching my review of True Season 3. I am now a thumbs down. I think it was completely unsatisfying, kind of stupid. The performances are so good that like you kind of laugh at them. Like for me now looking back at these earnest, wonderfully acted performances, it's just funny that they ended up in this thing that like didn't go anywhere. And even the big reveal where you find out what happened, they did it in like a minute and a half after all of this buildup. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. So I'm giving it a thumbs down overall. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs up. I liked it. I definitely thought it you know, was better than season two. Maybe not as good as season one. <laughs> is that the bar, though? That bar is pretty low on that one. <laughs> but I did like the performances of Mahershala Ali and, did I say it right? Mahershala you did. Ali. You I did. Congratulations. I went too fast on that one. And uh, Stephen Dorff and uh, Carmen... I don't know how to say jo- her last name. Jogo? Yes. She'll be a big star, and we will all know how to say her name next year. She's British, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, like, some of the best actors? I know. You're like, you think they're, like, all American, but they're British. Yes. You Fuck. can always tell, you know how you can tell a British person? They actually speak English well. they're a good well. actor. They're a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> Dorf's American. Dorf's American, yeah. All American. Well, it's the Dorfessance. Dorfessance. Yeah. No, I think it was good, and I actually kind of in- enjoyed the ambiguity of the ending and the fact that this had been about, you know, failed memories and memories in time, and that that was the thing that ultimately kept the mystery from being solved was actually the faultiness of his memory. Kevin, that was so great. <laughs> my, my pronunciation was amazing. No, but that was really interesting to look back and listen to what we had to say. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, are we going to agree that uh, True Detective Season 4 was better than Season 3? I certainly enjoyed and it more. And way more than Season 2. I hated Season 2. Love Season 1, and I was very entertained by Season 4, even though not everyone felt the same way on our show. All right, we'll check out to see if there's a Season 5, so... 
Okay, so as always, this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we also make weird little dolls to leave at crime scenes. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Partners in crime media. media.